I'm Bert Cohen, and with your help, we are keeping democracy alive. Check for pulse. Stand clear. Push to shock. America's fascists are those people who think Wall Street comes first and the American people come second. What we've really seen is a financial sector that's gotten out of hand, has much too much of a role in this country. What Putin is trying to do and what Trump is trying to do is undermine faith in our government. An absolute typhoon of terror against African Americans. There's a huge gap between public opinion and public policy that people don't feel that they can do very much. I speak tonight for the dignity of man. By definition, America has long been attractively different from many other countries. Perhaps the most obvious opposite was the old Soviet Union, which had no free market, no competition, everything. All means of production were owned and controlled by a few at the top. One particular telling example of the folly of total monopolistic control over the economy was women's bras. Yes, women's bras. They were terrible, made poorly. All women complained, yet no one could do anything. There was no competition. Well, America, on the other hand, has long and justly prided itself on having a robust free market. That experience, or real freedom, has made our system a smooth-running envy of the world, well, with a few hiccups. There have been occasions when power and wealth became so concentrated and centralized that America's elected leaders were made to involve the government to break up what were then known as the trusts. Now, well over 100 years ago, the 1890s were known as the Gilded Age, in which unregulated consolidation ruled supreme over our national economy. Then, Republicans like Theodore Roosevelt stepped in aggressively and broke them up for the common good. The question we'll discuss today is, is it time to break up the 21st century tech trusts? According to the article from a group called The Irregulators, Uh, Calls for the breakup of big tech companies is a political issue that is emerging as a central concern of a growing number of 2020 Democratic candidates. Why? If a company makes a good product that everybody likes and wants, why would anyone want to forcibly break up the company that makes them? Well, our guest today to shed light into this sometimes murky morass is Bruce Kushnick, Managing Director of The Irregulators. Thanks for being with us, Bruce. Sure. Thanks for having me. The Irregulators is an independent expert telecom team comprised of senior telecom experts, analysts, forensic auditors, sounds like a lot of fun, and lawyers who are former senior staffers from the FCC, state advocate and attorneys general offices, uh, experts and lawyers, as well as former telco consultants. Members of the group have been working together in different configurations since 1999, In other words, they know their stuff, and as it affects all of us, I am eager to learn. Well, again, thanks for being with us. Let's let's start by defining a trust as in antitrust. What does that mean in today's world? Well, let me just let me give you a little background about the uh, the uh, stuff that we've been looking at because it's not just the tech trust; it's the telecom trust. Uh, For those who don't know, AT and T used to be controlled control of the entire United States. In 1984, it was broken up. It was called the Vestiger. 
and that breakup was because AT&T had a control over all the wires and all the communications in the United States. I remember. It, can, it controlled the local service. It controlled the long-distance service. It controlled even the, the, the equipment that was on you being used in the networks. So when you got local service in the 1980s, it came uh, in the 1970s, it came with a phone. It came with a wire in your home. It came f- with local calling. It came with uh, directory assistance, but it didn't come with uh, long distance. And the long-distance companies wanted to go out and offer services, which is an interstate call, meaning the call went from one state to another. So in 1984, with the help of uh, a bunch of people screaming and yelling about it for years, mm-hmm. uh, a case by MCI, in 1984 it was a civil suit, and it was the, the monopoly was supposedly going to be broken up. And unfortunately, in terms of the trust that we have today, Humpty Dumpty has been put back together. Uh-huh. And so all of the uh, all of the various and sundry companies that were created. Now there were originally seven separate companies that had land uh, that controlled certain parts of the United States. There was, for example, in California, there was uh, California Bell, which or pa- Pacific Bell, which went from which was the state of California. There was in, on the East Coast there was Nine uh, X, which went from Maine down to New York. And then there was Bell Atlantic, which went from uh, New Jersey down to Virginia. So you have these, you had these companies take over a bunch of different states, uh, known as the Baby Bells, but they were very fat bells, and they all wanted to be like Ma Bell and have local and long distance and be able to offer what they wanted. So as we go forward in time, the Bell companies were supposed to compete. They were supposed to be. Uh, competition in all different states, in all different cities, where one of the companies would come into the other company's territories, which never happened, of course. And so when we hear that there's a merger going on now with uh, T-Mobile and Sprint, one one must wonder Uh uh, what it's going to look like. But in terms of the trust, these companies now control the wires for the wireless company, the wires for the wireline company, and because they don't necessarily, and they also bought vertically the uh, advertising, uh, online advertising companies, they've bought some of the media companies such as Time Warner, um, and essentially what they're doing is they are creating not only a new version of the trust, but a larger version where they gobbled up all the other companies. In the original trust, it was they controlled local and long distance and some of the equipment. Now they want to control the entire United States. And the three companies that are left, which are Verizon, which controls the East Coast, um, AT&T, which controls 21 states now, and uh, CenturyLink, are the three land, original Mob Bell companies, but they now don't compete really for wireline or broadband services, and they've never really left their territories. But they control the FCC, which uh-huh. is how trusts work. <laughs> oh, so, uh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to ask: Isn't in theory the FCC, the Federal Communications Commission, supposed to control them? Yes, and, and that's <laughs> one of the reasons why we, 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 the regulators, came back. The old guys came back. I mean, all of the regulators were either semi-retired or retired. Uh. And you know, if, if you don't have an AARP card, you're not a member. Um, <laughs> slash, you know, Medicare. <laughs> Um, but basically what happened was is after they, after the, uh, the consolidations that continued throughout the 90s and throughout 2000, the 2000, you know, 2007, all of the companies came back together. And so 
but they then also decided to take over the FCC. Now, the current FCC mm-hmm. is the chairman is a former Verizon attorney. Mm-hmm. His second in command, which is uh, Commissioner Carr, was Verizon's attorney um, in 2007. And he also worked for AT&T and, and the Wireless Association um, when he worked for Wiley Ryan. Um, and um, there's another one named Michael O'Reilly, who basically is a friend of a group called ALEC. which is No, no. <laughs> yes, and Alec has just been put on the Consumer Advisory Committee, oh, which is uh, a contradiction of terms. <laughs> we were on the FCC Consumer <laughs> Advisory Committee in 2004. We started outing all of the members who had financial relations with all the companies, oh, yeah. and there was basically only a few that were left, and so they were asked us not to come back. <laughs> the new, new, this new FCC doesn't really care. Under the uh, Trump administration, the new FCC basically has decided to create the FCC being a new toxic swamp. Now, what bothers us greatly is that the FCC not only is, uh, has a voting block that basically is always working for the companies, and literally working for the companies, which we've documented, but they, wow. have, they've, they walked into this position where they, they started with deciding what policies they thought America should go for, which is to shut off all the copper wires, claiming that they're no longer profitable, shut down all of the retail services, the wired services for people, and then offer only wireless. Now, everybody let me ask, well, what about the cable companies? I can see their hands raised in the back. The cable companies have, have always sat in the back on the regulatory side and just watched the, uh, the, comp- the other companies sort of battle it out for any of the issues. So they, they've extended their wires in various places, but there's no direct competition. So AT&T and Verizon, who were supposed to show up with fiber optic wires, never did. So the only one left standing in a lot of areas is the cable company that could charge whatever they want, and by they could, and if they don't have enough money, they could just keep adding new fees that they made make up. Wow, interesting, and and you know this does affect all us consumers. I mean, we all depend on this stuff nowadays, and uh, people complain a lot about the prices of of cable and. I mean, there is competition for uh, wireless for sure, but the fact that there's this. Blatant. Actually, there's no there's, the, the competition for wireless is, is a mirage. Really? Because well, Europe uh, there's a group that just to publish research where they said that lo- that uh, the United States wireless services were six times more expensive than most of Europe. Uh, the o- there's a thing called the OCED, which is the you know some or- organization of, of most of the countries, and basically yeah, we're six times more expensive. So for $30 in other com- countries, you can get unlimited services, and meaning unlimited, meaning it's over 1,000 gigabits versus what they say today, which is unlimited, which is 25, and then they stop. So on our side, the, the, the prices, instead of being 70 or 100 bucks, should have been 10 or 20. Wow. And the same thing, and the wireline services, they basically manipulated the accounting as we found it, which is our court case, where they basically were able to dump all the expenses for all the other services being developed into local service, which was not necessarily legal. And they basically did this for the last 19 years without looking at the books. And the books are set to the year 2000 were never checked. So you have local service going up in, in New York 100% since 2005, costing local phone customers an additional $3,000 per line. So it seems like with, with, with the control of the FCC, really the fox is guarding the hen house. It's, it's just amazing the 
blatant conflicts of interest that there are and who they are serving, and and the consumer doesn't make out particularly well. I, I think it, it's interesting now that uh, so many, as we started out saying, you know, the 2020 candidates are, are trying to, to get on this. And I, I'm reminded of, uh, well, not just Teddy Roosevelt, who broke up the trust, but Franklin Roosevelt, his fifth cousin. He, of course, set the standard for what it means to be a Democrat. Of course, the Clinton era strayed from that rather substantially. But it seems like uh, a lot of the candidates, not all of them, are, are, are rediscovering much of the uh, Franklin Roosevelt outlook. And there's two relevant quotes that, that uh, I, I discovered. In the Depression, he said, private enterprise in times such as these cannot be left without reasonable safeguards lest it destroy not only itself but also our processes of civilization. And then there's one of my favorites from the amazing Madison Square Garden rally right before he was reelected in 1936. He said that they, meaning business and financial powers, had begun to consider the government of the United States as a mere appendage to their own affairs. We know that government by organized money is just as dangerous as government by organized mob. And he also declared that moneyed interests must in America be subservient to the common good. Uh, it kind of seems like from what you're talking about, uh, the other way around, that the common good is being subservient to the big moneyed interests. Well, uh, not only that, but, uh, you know, Franklin, un under, the, under FDR, there was the creation of the FCC, yes. which was supposed to be the watchdog, because the AT&T had gotten out of hand. It was just charging people extra for their, the, the phones. And in fact, there was a scandal. It was like uh, really equivalent of about a half a billion dollars now of overcharging local phone customers for the, the phones that they were basically required to buy. Yeah. But under the current under the current regime, basically it's oh, it's the uh, facade of competition. Uh -huh. And they use the word competition. They use the word competitive, and then you realize that those are only. Uh, uh, those tags are nothing, nothing more than somebody uh, basically you know, going after, <laughs> saying, "Yeah, right. There, there's real competition. I guarantee it. Competition is supposed to lower prices. In New York, local local rates went up over 100 percent, as did in California and other places, and that's because nobody ever checked how much money was being thrown uh, to the politicians to basically make sure that there was nobody checking the checking the hen house anymore." So in our in what I consider the the toxic dump of all time, we've never really seen an FCC where they have multiple commissioners from the industry taking over. This is unheard of. In fact, the worst one of the worst cases is if there's a thing called 5G, which uh -huh. is a wireless service. And the only thing about 5G that you should know is that five comes after four. <laughs> And that basically it's all just a con to get rid of all the regulations that are in place. Oh, my goodness. And let me explain. So uh, 5G has a, a radius of, of one to two blocks, period, yeah. now, currently. Okay. So if, and it requires a fiber optic wire. Uh -huh. So no, none of the companies have put in the fiber optic wire that they were supposed to in the first place. So putting in 5G is basically just a series of tests all over the country showing, oh, my God, this is coming soon. This bait-and-switch, which has been happening for the last 25 years, started with, in the, with the fiber-optic world in the, in the 1990s, where Al Gore and Clinton ran on the thing called an information superhighway, mm -hmm. which was supposed to rewire the entire United States with fiber-optics by the year 2010. Gee, that, that didn't go very well. And so the companies promised they would do all these, this construction. They got state laws changed. 
and federal laws changed, and then basically didn't do the work. In this case, they're putting out these uh, what I call tests to make sure that the uh, young kids who are, you know, uh, tech Big consumers, tech, uh, <laughs> tech enthusiasts. Yeah. Um, who have no training whatsoever in telecommunications, but are you know, went to, went to a, a school for journalism, um, basically writes about how great the phones are. But then when you look at the, what happens, the FCC's announcement for 5G was an ALEC bill in, in Indiana that basically was used for the, federal, for the FCC, and, and the members who were presenting it were in the state, in the Indiana uh, state legislature were from Alice. And I should uh, uh, advise listeners, uh, being a former state senator, I know about ALEC. ALEC is the American Legislative Exchange Committee, and it's it's a tool of big business. They they write bills, and they you know, wedge their, their cookie-cutter bills, and they just put them in each different state. And it's always, always to benefit uh, the big businesses at the top of the heap. Always. So uh, we, we outed Alex uh, in a couple of articles. I used to write for Harvard Neiman Watchdog um, back in uh, uh, 2005 and six, and uh, Al- I, we started seeing a trend, which was Alex would pull, put a bill together, and then they'd put it into 17 separate states right. simultaneously. Yep. And nobody would understand that they were the same bill. They would change some of the wording, right. but the people who were That's pitching exactly it had to do. have a financial back- uh, backing from the phone company, or cable company. Mm-hmm. And they do it very subtly. Most people don't know that they have large foundation grant uh, foundations, which are paid for by local phone customers. Ironically, yeah. and, those fa- and that foundation <laughs> money ended up uh, being being used to, for different state legislators to get uh-huh. pet projects done instead of just giving them campaign cash. Right. In California, if you look at some of the bills but, that were done, you know, you see this person getting oh, they got a million dollars for a tech. The hub that we're putting in my my community. Well, so in the, in the new stuff that we're doing, just so you know, we are taking we've taken the FCC to court. We are currently yes. raising money to basically continue this case. Yes. Let me tell you what we found because you won't believe it. Okay. It's kind of hard. And before you get to that, I just need to remind listeners you're tuned to uh, Keeping Democracy Live. Bert Cohen here, and we are talking with Bruce, Bruce Kushnick, Managing Director of the Irregulators. We're talking about the question of, is it time to break up the 21st century trusts? Go ahead. Okay, so this will scare everybody because basically it happened. Everybody's, everybody who's listening is uh, basically, I call it the, the matrix memory. Matrix was a movie where nah. uh, the, the, ca- the character wakes up, the character basically is living in a world that is not real, and he finds out <laughs> that it's a total facade. In terms of what people t- talk about broadband and internet and all those things, it, in the year 2000, the FCC set the accounting rules for the entire United States infrastructure to, to reflect the year 2000. When local service was, was the most was the, the largest sum of money, over the last seventeen years, they've uh, nineteen years, they've never examined the, the accounting once. They erased all the uh, accounting rules, quote unquote. They stopped publishing the data for the for the accounting. The states stopped publishing the data for the accounting, except for one state, New York, and New York has a financial report that Verizon is required every year to file. That report shows billions of dollars of course subsidies that basically was caused by the accounting rules. Hmm. I'll give you the best example. 
Uh, so it, as of 2017, Verizon New York is a state utility still. It has a revenue of had a revenue of five billion dollars. Local service was one billion dollars, and the rest is uh, the stuff known as uh, business data services or FiOS. And that one billion dollars was charged one point eight billion dollars in corporate operations expense. Hmm. Corporate operations expense is, as far as we know, the jet planes, the golf tournaments, the executive pay, all the lobbyists all the lawyers who are fighting net neutrality, who are fighting everything you've heard of, and is pushing 5G. And it is, and we're going to, this is one of our next steps is to go after this, because $1.8 billion of corporate operations expense against the local service made local service unprofitable, at which point they got rate increases, multiple rate increases in, the, in New York. They were able to claim it wasn't profitable to upgrade the entire state, which created a digital divide, so mm. that that the the upstate areas and and the and the more and the low income mm-hmm. areas didn't get upgraded properly. Mm-hmm. It caused it's uh, and it's used for all of the different reasons, such as should we're going to shut off the copper because nobody's using it, and we're going to put everybody on wireless because we could take the, dismantle the utility and hand ratepayer publicly funded networks over to the phone company's wireless division as private property. Wow. <laughs> Okay, who's working for whom here? My goodness gracious, they've really... You heard it here first, yes. Very slippery uh, takeover. Well, let's look at some of the legal history. There have been challenges to the power of, well, specifically Facebook, Apple, Google, and Amazon. That's a little bit different from what we've been talking about so far. But uh, it it started out uh, on May 13th of 2019. The Supreme Court issues its Apple Inc. versus Pepper decision which kind of got the ball rolling. Talk about that, if you would, please. Well, let me just talk about the, the general pattern of what's going on. Okay. Because the companies uh, like Facebook, for example, when you have billions and billions of people who use them and they control the conversation or they are monitoring the conversation or they're eliminating uh, people they don't like or all of these different things that are in control, um, it essentially, essentially, people don't know that they, these people ha- have taken control over the, the conversation. And so, but I don't know if you know this, but Facebook has lost a lot of people, especially uh, the the people in my generation who don't go on Facebook anymore because they don't, they know that there's they're being you know, they're being tracked sure. or their friends are being tracked. The the other the other uh, players here like Google, the searches are engines. Um, one has to wonder when you go online, for example, and you see advertising, yeah. and the advertising for uh, I, I, I wanted to buy a new key, uh, piano keyboard, and I went and I typed in piano keyboard, and I saw a bunch of them. For the next three weeks, I was seeing piano keyboards sure. on every site I went to. Uh huh. <laughs> that kind of tracking is what people really are annoyed about because one company can track every all of all of your play, all your your, your travel, including where, you know who who you went to visit, all that kind of stuff. Those are the those trusts of uh, yes. that data, um, and, and or Amazon don't scare me personally as much as the ability for the companies themselves, the phone companies, to control the infrastructure. Hmm. Because at one point, the infra- at one point, all of us have have to go online. That infrastructure is not owned by AT and T, is not owned by Apple, pretty much, or Google, even though they have some fiber or Amazon. At this point, it's owned by 
uh, two or three companies that are controlling all the wires. So the interface between these two trusts is kind of what's, uh, I think, what scares everybody, and it should be, because privacy is, for example, who knows, who knows what they're doing with your data. Um, and on the phone side, they, because when you sign up, you basically have to give them your phone number and everything else, they track you mm-hmm. and your phone number and all the conversations you have and all of the different places you go online as well. So between the two of them, when they're selling, <laughs> they're selling information back and forth, there's only a couple of companies left doing all this work. That, to me, is what scares me the most, because my feeling is our privacy is being eaten yeah. by the different, uh, pa- different services and packages, which combine both the content and the conduit. And it seems like uh, George Orwell's 1984 was, was really uh, kind of uh, amateurish, because it's not the government that's doing it. It's these private corporations that are accountable to, well, nobody. And 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 the more and companies like you know the Facebook and Amazon they're not okay, the, the state utilities which are supposed to be over have oversight yeah. that's all falling apart. Now why why is that? I would think all right these guys under my understanding of what a utility is a public utility is to be regulated for the public good because everybody needs it like water and electricity are clearly public utilities. I would think that now this information stuff ought to be regulated as a public utility. What's going on with that? And also people think that broadband should be a public utility. The first, the, yeah. and a lot of people ask me, you know, why isn't broadband a public utility? It is. Most people don't know that. Nobody's taking it back. Here's the problem. In New York, we have a solid public utility that basically still claims that the networks are still regulated. If that's true, then everything, all of the cross subsidies that I mentioned to you are all illegal. Uh-huh. Huh. Because sure. it violates basic laws, and that's going to be something that we're going to be looking into taking next. Well, but yeah, I, I should point something out. You know, the regulators have been doing this for a long time. Yeah, I've been in telecom analyst for thirty-seven years, and it took us at least five years to figure out what happened. Because <laughs> there's no obvious trail when you, when you get rid of all the uh-huh. accounting stuff and and the financials. There's no obvious trail of of what's still there. So in California, they basically claim that some of it's regulated, some of it's not. But when you ask them to see the books, the financial books, they said, well, we don't keep these books anymore. It'd be too onerous for us to go out, literally onerous, for us to go out and do, look at the cross-subsidies of the different companies. What? In New York, they still, they still have some semblance of a, of a, of a, of a state utility. So we mentioned Alec. Yeah. Alec went through over the last 10 years and sliced and diced each of the state utilities so that basically many, many of them are no longer seriously regulated anymore at all. Wow. Yeah. And, and which scares me because they were the front line of, the, uh, of what would happen. I'll give you an example. Alec take, takes a map of the United States and says, okay, we're going after these companies for uh, shutting off the copper. Uh, you know, there's not enough copper. Nobody's using the, the, the wires anymore. We just sh- shut them off. And it takes the same message, and it goes into 27 states at once. 15 right. states at once. And right. nobody sees the pattern that, you know, and it's too expensive to see the pattern. And there's too many pieces of the, of the, of the of puzzle, except for people like us. And, you know, it wasn't, it really was the combined, uh, the combined group that basically, because we have a, somebody who's an auditor and who's, you know, looks at the numbers, mm-hmm. somebody who does uh, the, uh, uh, the legal and regulatory stuff at the FCC, nobody would have noticed, no, noticed what we found. It took us, and literally, when we talk to people, we tell them there's a state utility left, they go, what are you talking about? 
So there are state utilities, and I'll tell you, you know, for those who may have heard of something called net neutrality, yes, the the fiber optic wire that's been put in in New York and all the other Verizon states was put in as a Title II common carrier broadband service. Uh huh. So that should be net is, net neutral, right? Which is ob- which is the opposite of what the net neutrality people say. They say there's nothing. You know, these networks are not Title II, and they were put in as Title II, and they still are Title II, and they're part of the state utility. So, so any state, any state could go back and say, "Excuse me, if these are part of the state utility, why are they? Why haven't we regulated them as state utilities?" Right. And and the answer is, is you get you, you, these people are flummoxed. They the even the even the state utility people don't call the the the, the network utilities anymore. In in terms of the telecom side, this is crazy. It is, and what. What is being done legally about this? You guys deal with a lot of the, the legal issues, and it's quite a tangle. And, uh, you know, obviously, your average person can't get into this. It's just so overwhelming, and right. uh, that serves the, the top interest to, be, to keep it overwhelming and, and, and confusing. But w- what are some of the legal challenges that, that you guys are involved in, and what's going on with that? So it took us two years to decide what case to take that we thought was the best, the, you know, the fundamental case which is the case that we're now taking, which is sort of like paint drying, which is we are going after the accounting rules. And the accounting rules are the ones that, that control all the different states and all the different things. Now, the FCC claims the rules are no longer valid. But the accounting rules are the ones that cause the c- corporate operations expense to be you know, uh, $1.8 billion in New York. It's the fundamental... Uh, crux of all of the all the FCC decisions is they have a flaw in every decision, and they never looked at anything that happened on the state level ever in any state. This is this is a big deal from the point of view of going after them because the FCC doesn't have the data to say, well, this cus- these customers paid for broadband in this state. They would say, oh no no no, the investors paid for the broadband in this state. And the answer is no. Cut local phone customers were charged for this state. So what we're doing is this yeah. case took us years to put together. I'll be honest; we still need funding to continue it. But we uh, took this case in uh, when the FCC decided to extend the accounting <laughs> rules for an additional six years, even though they're not in use. Yeah. And that would mean we're looking at forty to fifty—sorry, uh, fifty to sixty billion dollars of overcharging a year because these rules are not functioning anymore. Wow. The rules were supposed to say the local service pay, uh, pays X. And the wireless company using the, the utility pays Y, and all the other companies pay uh, for the use of the networks. That's falling apart, and the wireless company doesn't pay for anything in New York. This is crazy. In other words, a billion dollars was shifted from New York to the wireless company instead of building out upstate New York. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Same so with uh, every other state. It's, it's so slippery. And as we mentioned in the beginning of the show, the uh, the 2020 presidential candidates they're they're starting to talk about this, and one of them, one of the uh, three or four dozen of them, is Amy Klobuchar, who said recently, "My goal is to make antitrust cool again, and to make make people realize that we are in not just heading into another gilded age of consolidation." Now, probably everyone listening is has heard the term "gilded age," maybe in our history classes, but but just a little bit of context: the robber barons who not only controlled in the last gilded age transport, business, and finance, but politics and culture as well. 
what is the the similarity right now between uh, the robber barons and uh, and in the uh, current Gilded Age that we're in? Well, the, the a couple of things. The first is that, the, as you pointed out, nobody has a clue about this, and this is way too hard for anybody to understand. Even if you're yes. in the industry, most people don't know the truth. And so having shows like this and explaining some of the details and getting people aware that there is this stuff going on is a very important thing. Uh, and I have, to, you know, I have to thank you for uh, having me on the show. This, the reason why it's so important is because we are at the tipping point of the end game. If the companies are able to shut off all the, all the networks claiming that they're unprofitable and put everybody on wireless at, because they could charge more money per gigabit for use, of your TV set or anything else, and they control all of the where you go and all that stuff. This is this is 1984 on steroids, <laughs> and they're also buying up the content companies, and they're also buying up the advertising tracking companies. So, and then they cut deals with you know the, because they have a phone, they have a deal with Google on the phone or Apple with the phone, and so you have these cross pollination of monopolies playing with monopolies, <laughs> and it's never it's never in the customers benefit that they do this <laughs> no this is this is one thing that most people you know that, oh they're getting bigger no bigger is not better no you know in, in the in terms of the uh the overall thing i'll give you the best example and uh there was a uh, eight before at became at&t it was uh the new at&t it took over a bunch of the other different bell companies right. so the last one was at&t and bell south which was uh, bell south was from uh was you know, South Carolina and Florida and Louisiana, and it basically what it did was there was an agreement saying that for that the new AT and T would have 100 percent broadband coverage by the year 2007 as part of the merger commitments. You go back and you find out that the merger commitments were signed, and then they did, never did any of the work. So in California, for example, you have areas that are have no broadband that AT and T never showed up in. That could have taken the case immediately against AT and T. I don't know why it didn't is because they probably didn't even know that there were caveats within the the merger commitments to make sure that they got broadband. That would have been slow because the the speed of broadband at that time was slow, mm-hmm. which was two hundred k in one direction. But that, that in order to uh, uh, deliver that, they'd still have to do DSL or some other copper based broadband service, and they never did any of it. They just left it right. hanging. And so why didn't the California or the other states just wake up and go, excuse me? Now, what really needs to happen at this point is people need to know that the game has been rigged. Some of them feel it. They understand, you know, when they look at their, when they look at their Time Warner or, or their Charter yeah. triple play and it's $200, they go, wait a second, I just saw the advertising for eighty nine ninety five. Why can't I get that price? <laughs> <laughs> um, or, you know, I look at my bill and I go, why are there... Forty percent of made of fees that don't that aren't regulated. So all of this stuff is going. If it's, if if Kobusher really was serious, and the and the people who are antitrust, they would start at the beginning. But the problem is, is they are they're still part of the uh, matrix memory. They yeah. don't know the whole story. Even you know even those who think who might and should. And so a lot of times they get lost in the what the, what the companies have told them. And that basically they don't really understand. I'll give you the best example that I could think of. Everybody's sitting around, well, we lost all these lines. Oh, my God, we, we, you know, they're losing all these lines, and therefore there's nobody using the phone lines anymore, which is you know, what they said in New York. And New York still has 2 million lines, copper, f- copper phone lines. 
and that number is only 20% of the total copper lines that are in service because they they reclassified the lines to be different things. So the line that goes to the ATM machine isn't part of the accounting for the access lines. The line that goes to your alarm circuit isn't counted as an access line. Ooh, slippery. The DSL is not counted as an access line. The FIOS line is not, an a, is not a line. By the time you add up all these lines that are not lines, <laughs> you find that they've manipulated the accounting of the, of the entire oh line, number of lines. Well, I hope their accountants are getting paid well enough. They, it seems like they earn it. <laughs> or the lack of accountants for not even doing it. Again, if you just tune, tuned in, Bert Cohen here. The show is Keeping Democracy Alive. We're talking about a unique threat to democracy, and that is uh, the power of big 21st century tech trusts. And our guest today is Bruce Kushnick, Managing Director of the Irregulators, which is taking them on. Uh, so politically... You know, Teddy Roosevelt, uh, you know, became uh, somewhat famous. He, he got his uh, a lot of um, credit for taking on the uh, the big uh, trust. He was a trust buster. Then there was uh, uh, in 1904, uh, Ju- Supreme Court Justice John Marshall Harlan wrote an opinion that affected the power of monopolies. And you know, every now and then, the courts do look at precedent, and there's uh, quite a precedent there. And there's the uh, the Sherman Antitrust Act, which is law. How how might some of these laws affect what you're talking about, or don't they? Because it's a whole different ballgame. We we have been trying to get antitrust lawyers uh, to go out and take cases for the last ten years. Our feeling is is that most of them. This is a very expensive. Very long, and most of them don't know the history of, right. for example, uh, telecommunications. They they don't sure. get the basics, which kind of surprised me. But um, and also, uh, antitrust law had fallen out of favor. But we, our feeling was, that which okay, in order to take the case, you need a smoking gun these days. We have some smoking guns, but they don't want to. You know, the the, the lawyers go, yeah, but that's going to cost us four or five million dollars just to develop this case. And we'll go, okay. That's, yeah, because I'll give you an example. Our, our stuff that we just worked on took us five years of mostly pro bono work yeah. of seven experts and two lawyers, uh, sorry, three lawyers and, and seven experts. And basically, and we, we didn't get paid for most of the work, but we did it because we believe we, we saw the future, which is the FCC was going to start raping and pillaging the, the public taking all the laws and regulations and throw them out. Now, in this environment, when you walk into, when you talk to these people, the, the antitrust, they're going to say, show us the accounting. And the answer is, is, well, we only have the accounting for one state because the other states don't publish anymore. And so the audit trail is gone. So you have to ask them to do discovery. <laughs> and, they're, and they're gun shy. But I think the most, the most important thing is I don't think, like you said, there's, there's a, a wireless competition. AT&T and Verizon control most of the wireless, uh, most of the wireless, but basically they have a, a deal that we believe that need, would need, need to be proved, a sweetheart deal, where they don't pay each other's expenses in each other's states. And our data that we have from New York shows some of this. And, and pointing this out to an antitrust lawyer, he went, that's really interesting. Can you give me the other states? I went, well, no. You know, we, only, we only have New York. And he said, well, that's, you know, we have to think about that. And I'm like, yeah, let's just take the case. And we have it on our side. We just decided to take this case because we knew it was the right thing to do. 
It wasn't the most financially appropriate thing to do, but it was the right thing to do. If we are correct, this could open up all of the antitrust issues because it's going to show that all the numbers in all the states were manipulated to the point where we're talking about half a trillion dollars of overcharging. And it does seem there's a long history by by certain very large businesses of of doing stuff like this, uh, crushing the competition by just overpowering them. You mentioned something about uh, uh, the GM, General Motors streetcar conspiracy, uh, Ah, and the backdrop, as you said, uh, for Who Framed Roger Rabbit, a great movie, where the company decided to buy up a light rail system so they could shut it off and push people to cars, buses, building roads, and improving gasoline sales. Uh, There's a long history of success for for such uh, schemes, and they've really affected... uh, uh, American society these days, and go ahead. Well, and, and, and in our case, what we found was uh, was they are decided. They decided into the year two thousand that they would start making local service unprofitable, the wires, uh, intentionally, I believe, by design, to get rid of all the competitors. The Telecommunications Act of nineteen ninety six opened up all of the all of the networks in the United States for com- competition. And anybody who was around in the 1990s knows that there were hundreds of Internet service providers in every city. In in the United States, there were 9,335 separate Internet service providers in the year 2001, handling the majority of all Internet traffic in the United States. And there was 25% of all all local service was being handled by a competitor. Fast forward seven years later, uh, the Republicans take over. They decide to cut... To get rid of all uh, all of the uh, competitors, they created net neutrality issues because net neutrality is really the ability for companies to not degrade or block your service. Right. And so now net neutrality is more like, oh, please don't do this. Versus, there's lots of competition keeping everybody in place. By the end of 2007, AT and T and MCI, the two largest competitors, were put out of business and bought by the other companies. And the uh, 7,000 small Internet service providers were put out of business. All, all in the stroke of a pen, not, not, by, market, not by market forces. Well, and in my, in my book, I, I sort of document all, what exactly happened, because we were there at the FCC trying to stop this sort of, you know, uh, this flood. So our feeling about the, the, what's happened now, um, and, and like who framed Roger Rabbit is, we believe they know that they basically created a situation where the accounting rules would put all, would dump the expenses into local service to make it unprofitable for all of these different public policy decisions. And Brendan Carr, by the way, who happened to have been the lawyer for Verizon in 2007 to try to get rid of the rules. He's now the current commissioner. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Yeah, again, and I wonder, you know, obviously, very, very obviously, the Trump administration is all about Fox's guarding henhouse all over the place. But I wonder, you know, as, as you mentioned, there was a, an act in 1996. What about Obama? Was he on top of this stuff at all or not? Um, he, I, the, Dem- the Democrats smile and then basically, you know, uh, put their arms around AT&T and say, you know, these guys are really doing a good job for us. Right. The Republicans don't care. <laughs> I mean, that's, you know, and, and, they, and this is good for us, you know, the Obama. Obama, uh, my belief is that Obama's, uh, Tom Wheeler, who was the chairman of the FCC at the time, was also the former uh, uh, CEO of the Wireless Association uh-huh. before, uh, before he got this other job. And then he, uh, but he, he finally, there was, he sort of dawned on him that, wait a second, something's not right here, but he didn't fix it. Uh-huh. 
And I have nothing nice to say about these guys because in 2015 or 16, I filed to go see some data that was uh, uh, confidential, but you know you had to sign a letter of confidentiality, and the and AT&T and Verizon blocked my ability to see the data, and the FCC agreed with them. At the time, I was writing for Huffington Post, and but I was also an analyst, and I and they said, you know, well, he's going to leak some of these confidential things and the answer was you're making you're, you're deciding the decision of this court case before i even made it <laughs> did anything wrong yeah uh, well and, we... and i could have fought it we could have taken a you know spent a hundred thousand dollars to sue the fcc wow. which it's one of the most for those who don't know it's a a, a, a lawsuit such as the appeal we're taking is going to cost two or three hundred thousand mm. dollars there's no way around the money unless right. you have you know an organization paying for the paying for the the legal and regulatory fees. But the truth of the matter is is it keeps everybody else away. Yes. You can't you can't you can't just go out and, and challenge these people because the game is kind of rigged against yeah, us. Yes, sure. Well, Trump certainly knows that you know because he could he can be sued by you know anybody. He doesn't care because he's got he can get his hands on anyway a lot of money and just keep the people tied up and uh, so be it. So, you know, the, the, as Bob Dylan says, money doesn't uh, talk, it swears. <laughs> and well, I was just going to ask about, you know, precedent, too. The, the tradition, you know, the sort of the uh, standard uh, for Gilded Age, for, for consolidation and for trust is, of course, the railroads. When they were built, they got a lot of government support. They didn't do it on their own. And their decisions really affected just about everything in America. And I wonder how that might compare with uh, what's going on these days, and and how, you know, did the do the railroads uh, win every case? I, I I don't know, but uh, go ahead. In in, in, the, in the case that we're currently at, um, as you know, when we start telling people what we found, they're shocked. Even the people in the industry, they're shocked. It's kind of surprising in some cases, but if, you know, hey, we found we found the numbers being manipulated to go out and and uh, in the, in the accounting rules. And, and by the way, the FCC erased all the data except for this one state. So my feeling about uh, about what's going on is this has been going on for a long time. Yes. And the question comes down to how do you get the public to understand that mm. the, that That's underneath amazing. the underbelly of the whole thing has been decaying and we need to fix it. That's There's a, the, the, I, I was hoping you know in the 2020 that there'd be a sense of it's time to clean house. Which you know, I think, uh, and hold these people accountable. We just you know, we've filed about uh, pretty much like the mergers and stuff. We've been filing since uh, since 1999 on this stuff, right. and it's very obvious that unless you're willing to take that last step and go out and just take them to court and and have right. enough evidence and enough you know of warm bodies to uh, you know with talent to do it, uh, nobody's going to take notice of it at all. Well, what are the? I think that the, the the thing is that I think is important is can will will people wake up in the next election cycle and actually realize that certain things you know how badly the damage has occurred because this what what we see in 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 uh, just you know the the wasteland in, in telecommunications now is people are fat and dumb and happy with you know I have, if I have a broadband connection that's fast enough I can play my video okay yeah when they look at their bill they get disgusted because it's two hundred bucks or it's one hundred and seventy five dollars for the which should be fifty bucks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they look at the wireless bill. They say there's competition because they hear all the ads. But when you realize that you know around the world we're paying you know six times more than anybody else, it gets kind of you know questionable. And so we have a situation where people are 
I think they're annoyed. They know that something's going on. When you mention stuff like net neutrality and privacy, they get pissed off. But for the most part, they don't have don't a really clue understand. about the financials. And why should they? Well, and there's always these other shiny objects that Trump waves around that uh, distract people from one day to the other. And that's one of yes. the effects of uh, 24-7 news. And what we're talking about here is bigness. You know, is there something necessarily wrong with bigness? I don't know. Some people say, well, if they make a better product, then people are going to buy it if they keep the cost down. But, you know, there was too big to fail. And one of the other candidates, Bernie Sanders, talks about that quite a bit. And, you know, we, the people, bailed out the big banks who caused these tremendous problems back in 2008, 2009. And, and Bernie Sanders referred to the big bank protection arrangement as, quote, nothing more than a free insurance policy for Wall Street, the policy of too big to fail. It made me think about the Price-Anderson Act, which makes it so that nuclear power plants talk about too big. Yeah. don't have to buy insurance. But without that, there'd be no nuclear power, because if they had to buy insurance on their own, they'd have to shut down. But it seems that there's something about bigness itself and the stranglehold power they have in Washington. And I don't know if people are going to be able to, to get this or, or not. And it's really, uh, it's changed America quite a bit. Go ahead, I, I, I'll be honest with you. You know, when we talk about the trusts, um, to me, the phone companies have been a trust. You know, when I when I looked under the okay, there. Uh, quick, uh, quick background. Uh, Nineteen eighty-five. I worked at a, a company where my clients were all the phone companies. I uh, helped roll out something called uh, caller ID uh, back in uh, nineteen eighty-seven. I wrote the first report, and I was also I helped create something called three one three one one three digit dialing. Uh-huh. So uh, and I, we did that in '92 with Cox newspapers. So I was very heavily involved with the companies. They were my clients. I was making a lot of money. I was traveling around the world. I was very happy. And then I ended up. Two things happened. I went and went to my aunt Ethel's house, looked at her bills, and was uh-huh. totally appalled at how much money she was paying. She paid a thousand over a thousand dollars for a rotary phone rental. <gasps> and I remember those documented. days. I remember. Yeah, and the. Uh, and the second part was, my clients were handing in documents to the state commissions about broadband throughout the state, and they were basically almost fraudulent. The numbers that they were quoting couldn't possibly be built for the prices that they were quoting. But they wanted to change state laws to get more money so that they can go out and buy overseas companies. And they were my clients. And I said to them, excuse me, gentlemen and ladies, you know, no offense, but uh, you're ripping me off my NFL, and by the way, these numbers that you're talking about are they brought it on fraud, and they didn't care. They said, if I were you, I wouldn't say another word about this, and I, cause no. I would not bite the hand that feeds you. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking about feeding, there's there's farming. You know, there used to be. I mean, America back in the 19th century and, you know, a good bit of the 20th century was a lot of uh, agriculture. People lived on small family farms. Well, those days of the good old American small family farm, pretty much gone. In what ways uh, does, I mean, Senator Sanders has talked about uh, the power of bigness. He, he critiqued uh, the big banks for having too much power, too big to fail. How might that apply to agribusiness as well? Talk about trusts. My concerns now is that this whole, about the consolidation of everything, is we're at the point where we shouldn't, we've gotten too, too big. There's too many deals. If you were asking me what I should, what we should do next is we should break up the phone companies and separate the conduit from the content. 
Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Sure. Anybody who wants to use the networks can use the networks as if it was common carrier, as the law was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And that these are not private property, these are public property and paid for by the ratepayers, which yes. they are today. Uh-huh. And if we don't do that, then, and therefore all the other companies that you buy service from, at, le- if, uh, at least you, that, you know, online services, at least you would have a choice. And a choice, and then we'd open up the networks for choice. If we did this, by the way, the amount of cross subsidies for the other lines of business are so large that the rest of the states would get upgraded to fiber. Yeah. And there's enough money there. Just getting rid of the corporate operations expense of $1.8 billion against local service in New York would pay a lot of money. Nobody's ever audited the books. And this is a serious problem. So when I talk about the accounting rules, I'm really talking about how much money w- went where. Follow the money. Follow the money. What is Congress doing about this? I mean, do they, uh, are they just, you know, is it too complicated for them to figure out? I mean, the the article that I read mentioned something about a, uh, a subcommittee overseen by uh, Rhode Island Representative David Cicilline, who, yeah. uh, d- tell us about that. D- uh, are they starting to get this? We, uh, I've, I've been talking to a bunch of different, uh, different committees over the last couple of years. When we do, we talk to staffers. Occasionally, you know, the other guy shows up. But there's uh, other ones like uh, uh, the ones with the Pallone and Doyle on in the House. Take your word for it. You know, yeah, and, and their states. I mean, I, 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 said, I said, gentlemen, you know that in, in Pennsylvania, 100% of Pennsylvania should have been fiber by the year 2015. And in New Jersey, 100% should have been fiber by 2010. Paid for and the staffers, it's too incredible for them to understand that this uh-huh. actually could have happened. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's, it's like, how could, no, 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 no. So a lot of the people don't necessarily want to put their foot forward because they realize they were part of the problem. <laughs> or they just did, you know, they, their staffers didn't know or look or, you know, it's all that kind of stuff. Our goal is we're old guys. We don't care anymore. We're going to go after them. <laughs> Period. You don't have to get reelected. Regulators are, you know, the regulators are a bunch of old guys who are going to say, no, everybody who's who's thinking of retiring or is retiring sure. should get off their ass and help. Yeah. Well, what? what? the United States, we need people who are who can and are passionate and are going to actually make a difference. And we think that you know the seniors, <laughs> instead of playing golf and drinking pina coladas, yeah, to golf and pina coladas, it'd be much better if they went out and started going out and getting involved. And also, if they have talent and expertise, yes. using it. I well, mean, can you imagine some of the uh, getting, uh, uh, we'll call it a regulator hubs, in different states where they start suing over all these different uh, issues? Not just telecom. I mean, it's in every state. As you know, it's in every state and every yes. industry. Yes, and, and uh, you know, young people these days say, what about, you know, the, ba- the baby boomers? They, they kind of mess things up. Well, you're talking about retirees. That, that's my generation, and, and we, we, we can do that. Well, what, what can? I mean, it's hard to, to, to get, as they say, your head around this and to figure this out. What can people do in terms of, and, and you know, Congress isn't going to act if they don't hear from the public. But if they do hear from the public, if the public can figure this out, maybe it will stimulate them to act. I mean, people can obviously support the irregulators. Uh, right. Maybe it can tell us uh, how they can do that and what else people can be doing about this. Well, the, our, our, we're on a mission. We're not, we, you know, we, we came, uh, some of us came out of retirement, others you know, were, uh, were almost retirement, and we decided that we should not let the FCC get away with the crap, and we did not want our legacy to be that we lost. Uh-huh. 
that, that we were, that the stuff that we created, that we helped build, that we helped put together, because these guys have 30 years in each. Mm-hmm. You know, one's a former consumer advocate for the state of Ohio. Another one's, you know, former uh, assistant chief of the pricing policy division of the FCC. Knows every number. And what happened was, is I basically called everybody's bluff and said, gentlemen, we've got to take care of this. Yeah. There's nobody else out there who has our data, our analysis, yeah. analysis and abilities. Unfortunately, but true, we got stuck holding the bag if we wanted to not let anything just fall apart. Our take is we, so as far as the, uh, as far as the regulators, if anybody wants to uh, donate some money, come to regulator.org. You know, we're ready to go out and we're, we're taking this case. We're, it's going to cost us money and we don't have enough to pay for it. However, you bring up a much in, more interesting place, organizers. Yes. We need people who could actually help us come to, you know, come, come to grips with, you know, how do you build, how do you build coalitions and in getting people involved? Most people are scared of us. Yeah, Nobody really wants to take legal action and go, oh, okay, and they don't understand the data. It's, it's too complicated. And, you know, when I mention this accounting rule, people go, oh, paint drying, yeah. <laughs> wow, that's exciting. And, you know, and, you know as, a state, as a state senator, former state senator, yeah. what is your take on all this? What would you, you know, how would you go about it? Well, one thing I would do, and I'm suggesting people do, is perhaps go to the irregulators and get information and then contact their member of Congress. You know, once we need to gather the information, I don't have it. So, but hopefully on the on the That's website great. for irregulators, you you go there, find out, and then contact your your member of Congress, uh, so that he or she can become informed and perhaps do something about it because they're not going to do it unless they hear from you. Right, and, and I think that's a great idea because at, at this at this point in time, you know, we we're sort of the the uh, the lone wolf and you know, shouting in the in the, right, in the desert right. or in the you know in the uh, in the forest because. Yes. I'll be honest, you know, when we talk to people about, uh, and we talk to a lot of people, they, most people think that you can't do anything, and let, you know, I'm going to go back and, and uh, take a nap. <laughs> yeah, right. But we are not powerless. We are not powerless. That's one thing this show tries to emphasize. So the website is irregulators.org, is that right, or .com? Yes. Irregulators.org. Well, thank you so much. We are not powerless to take on the big powers. Bruce Kushnick, thanks so much for being with us and shedding so much light into this really dark area. Thank you. And, th- and thanks for having me. And, uh, you know, I'll keep you informed. All right. Thank you so much. Sure. Thank you.